0: Chapter 6 was so perfect for a setup on where we've where we've been and where we're going. If, you, if you're just now tuning in for one of the first times in this series, we've been in Samuel for quite a long time. Uh, we started in 1 Samuel and now diving into 2 Samuel. And, and while we've titled the series The Rise of a King, what we've actually saw through the book of 1 Samuel before we get into 2 Samuel was that the, the rise of a king really led to the decline of the nation of God's people. Because the rise of that king began to let the people compromise with the ways of the world rather than singing lyrics like this world's got nothing for me god's people began to think the world had a lot to offer and they would try to do things the ways of the world and they would try to compromise and and get along with everybody and, and change maybe some of the things that god had commanded in the way that god had commanded certain things to take place and because of that they got themselves in a heap of trouble and then we get into the book of second samuel and and saul finally dies and david finally becomes king and and you're getting the fastest uh review ever, but last week we ended with with a war. David's first uh, first goal as being king was to, to defeat enemies that should have already been defeated. And a lot of times in our life we need to defeat enemies that should have been defeated in our life, but we chose not to fight them at the time, we chose to compromise with them at a time, and because of that, because of that compromise, we fought a battle longer than we should have fought it, or we fought a battle we should have never fought, or we had to deal with things we should have never dealt with. And these are the problems when we compromise with the ways of the world rather than doing things God's way, instructed by his word. Because now David finally becomes king after seven and a half years of Saul's death. He gets things in order. He wins this battle. And the very first thing he wants to do after winning a battle that that is won against an enemy that should have been defeated, is he says it's time for the Ark of the Covenant to come home. It's time for, for the Ark to be put back in the place it was supposed to be in originally. But if we remember, they lost it in battle. And and when they lost it, the Philistines had it and and it did destruction on them. And they got scared of it because it even began to beat up their gods and their temples where they put it as as an idol itself. And then it just got lost. And sometimes when we don't heed to God's word and follow God's word, things get lost where they're not supposed to be. And that's where we're at today. So if you've got your Bibles, again, open to chapter, chapter 6 of 2 Samuel. Verses one and two that mitch just read so very clearly that david's bringing this this art back and we're going to get a lot of lessons if we make it through this whole thing and, and a whole lot more uh on worship and, and how we're supposed to worship and the idea of worship the idea of praise the idea of, of following god's word to at rather than allowing pagan ideas to shift and, and mold and and make it the way we want it to be so verses one and two tell us very clear this is a big event sometimes a lot of our praise services our worship services they turn into to big events. You know, I'm glad today that we've got probably I was a fear that that we would have less than ever. But I believe because of technology, because of of people driving to to want to make this thing happen. I believe we may have more viewers today than we've ever had. But I don't want it to be a big event about Brookhaven, a big event about church, a big event about music. It needs to be a big event because of God and because of nothing else other than God. Because we don't need anything from this world. This world's got nothing to offer. The ways of this world have nothing to offer. But the ways of God have so much to offer. So, so they're making this big, big event. I want us to understand how, how big this thing is. When David says he brought forth 30,000 troops, he set out all this stuff. They've got music going. They've got an instrument going. I mean, this thing is awesome. This thing is huge. And sometimes it's in those moments where things get real big, where things get huge, that we allow compromise to happen. And we quit worrying about if it's the way God wanted it to be. And we make it about the way we wanted it to be. Because you're going to notice here at the end, if you didn't catch it with Mitch it the first time, it's still going to be a big, big event the second time. It's just handled the right way. And what I mean by that is when we get to verse three, after one and two of, of setting the scene and how big this is and you picture it. Verse three says this. So they set the Ark of God on a new cart. And you read that and you're like, oh, no big deal. They're, they're, they're toting the Ark of the Covenant. And they've got a long journey to make. So they're making a new way of doing it. Church, you and I aren't called to do something a new way. We're called to do things God's way. And there is where they get in in such deep, deep trouble when it says in verse 3 that they set the ark of God on a new cart. They're transporting the ark in a way it was never meant to be transported. And and, and I I, I sought so much with this and I had so much problem with with, with Uzziah or Uzzah or however you want to pronounce him and and what happens with him. And, And I'll be honest, then I realized it. I realized how many chances they had to get it right there at the very beginning of verse three, because in order to pick the Ark of the Covenant up and set it on the cart, it had these these rings on, on the sides and the, and the top of it to slide the poles through to pick it up and set it on the cart. And it was at that moment I said, man, if they were picking it up, doing it God's right way right there. What made them think it would be OK to then sit it down on a cart and do it a different way? Because it was a big Big event and emotions were going and happiness was happening and all that. And it's when those moments happen that compromise knocks on the door and you and I have to decide if we're going to answer compromise or if we're going to stick to God's word. In verse three, they answered compromise. They went against Exodus chapter 25 and Numbers chapter four, where it said not only was the ark to be carried, not ever placed on a cart, but carried. It's supposed to be carried by certain people, Levites from a certain family, which we'll get to that in just a minute. But there, there's where they, they got themselves in trouble. And they got themselves in trouble because not only did they see an, an easier way of doing it, but they thought they had a fancier way of doing it. I imagine they thought for a few minutes as they made this cart and they, they had this thing going, and maybe they even looked around and said, Hey, guys, look at us. Look at the fancy cart we've made to tote the Ark of God, the Ark of the Covenant. Look, look at the fancy thing and the new technology that we've come out with. Look at the luxury. That we've invented. And how often is it when it comes to a worship service or a praise service, we've invented a new way to do it. A new technology, a new luxury. And a new technology and a new luxury will get us in a lot of trouble if it's not handled the way God told us to handle it. And it won't bring God any honor and it won't bring God any praise. Despite the emotions and the thrills and the happiness that happens to be going through your life at that moment during that session. And there is where they messed up. They had ignorant disobedience. And because of their ignorant disobedience, there's trouble that's about to come. We want God's presence so much. We, we want God's presence not only in this church, not only in the body of people. We want God's presence in our homes right now. We want God's presence in, in the garages that are meeting and, and gyms that are meeting and organizations that are, that are just, whether you're in a cul-de-sac or whatever, we want God's presence. But we get in trouble because we try to add him to our new car and our new way of doing it. And we load him on top of the mechanics that we've built everything else on. And we sit him in that place and we we bring forth the ways that we want to bring forth because we're bringing forth him with our hands and we're not bringing forth him with our hearts. I think lifting hands is great, but I'm be honest, if the only thing lifted up is your hands, you failed the Lord because he's looking for hearts that are lifted up, minds that are lifted up and not just hands that are raised to make an appearance of worship. We don't we don't need new things. We need a new fire. We need hearts that are set on fire to, to bring forth hearts that are on fire for God. Not an easier way of doing things, not a newer, fancier, cooler way of doing things, not even a way of doing things like the enemy. You know, the sad part is I guarantee it wasn't just their, their idea of this cart being made. They saw the Philistines do this back in first Samuel chapter six when they first lost the ark. And they watched the Philistines load this thing up and tote it out. And they watched the Philistines move it to their temples. And they watched the Philistines move it all over. And they had this thought, well, if they can do it that way, why can't we? And maybe they even thought, you know, God didn't do anything to them while they were toting the cart or the ark on the cart. And that God didn't do anything to them while they were moving it around this way. Church, you need to understand God's got higher expectations for his people than he does for his enemies. And we can't compromise and begin to do things the way the enemy's been doing things. And there's why David was probably so upset and so thrilled at the very beginning of his kingship to defeat an old enemy and to bring the ark back. Because they had compromised so much with the pagan society that he couldn't be able to tell the difference on what was God's and what was the way of the world. Maybe the churches we normally gather in have that same problem right now of being able to distinct what's the ways of God versus what's the ways of the world what's part of our service that should be going on that should be and is ordained by God and called by God to have versus what makes us feel good what looks like new technology what seems like a cool luxury what 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 the way of the world has been doing and their churches where we get in a heap of trouble and then we even get little little side notes right here for you note takers you you get the names look look at this right here you get the names of what's going on it says Azan and 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 How'd you say it? I.O.? <laughs> but you get these names, and here's what these names mean. Their names aren't important how to pronounce them, but here's what's important. Uzza means strength, and I.O. means friendly. Strength and friendly. And is that not something we try to do with our new cart that we put God on and make a big production of things with our own strength and with our own friendliness? I'm not saying you shouldn't find a friendly church, and not saying a friendly church is isn't a a God blessing or anything like that. But why would because they're friendly be the number one reason we join a church? How many times have we heard that? Oh, I go there because they're friendly. Well, that's great that they're friendly, but do they live and believe the word of God? Are they preaching the word of God? Do they follow the word of God? Or are they just really friendly and make you feel good? I know a lot of churches that will make you feel real good, and you'll feel real good all the way to destruction. Strength. And friendly, I don't ever want Brookhaven or any other God ordained body of Christ to be built on our strength or our friendliness. Now, if we are strong because he has made us strong, that's great. And if we are friendly because he lives inside of us and that is the, the, the emotions and the practice that is exhibited and others see, that is great. But if we're just building it on our own strength and our own friendliness, we're failing and we're doing God no good because we're doing things the wrong way. See, they did a good thing. They just did it the wrong way. And how often is it that we come into God's house and and we mean to do a good thing? We just do it the wrong way. Or even in our daily lives, we we do a good thing, but we do it the wrong way. They invented quite a production. Look at verse five. Then David and all the house Israel played music before the Lord. Big, big production. And we're often tempted in our world to judge our worship experience by how they make us feel. Well, if we feel good, it must have been a good time going on, right? I got news for you. Sometimes worship will make you feel real bad. Isaiah said it best when when he sat on his throne, on his throne. Now notice, he's pretty high up and he's on his throne. And he looks up and says, I am nothing compared to how high up God is. I bet he didn't feel quite as good as we feel sometimes after a good worship song, right? It's not always about the way we feel. It's about what's pleasing of God. And there's where they messed up. In direct disobedience, they wanted to do a good thing, but they were willing to do it the wrong way. Because they weren't worried about pleasing God. They were worried about pleasing themselves, if we're honest. And there maybe is where we mess up because we're worried about pleasing ourselves. Well, worship isn't about pleasing us. Worship is about pleasing God. I mean, there was praise. Yeah, it said it. There was worship. Yeah, it said it. They were even dancing. Yeah, it said it. But it was all out of order. And God tells us when we get things out of order is when we mess things up. When we praise and we worship and we dance, but it's out of order, it's not pleasing to God. So let me ask you a question to think on this morning. Are you attempting to carry God on your terms? Are you attempting to put God on your cart, tote him around your way, Using your way, move him your way rather than letting him move you. And if so, today would be a great day to change that. Right there in the luxury of your home or your garage or breakdown on a cul-de-sac. I don't care. It would be a great day to change that. Because look at what happens the more this story goes on. You get to verses six and seven. Mitch just read, and this is the section that did it for me. I got to be honest when I, when I first read the thing, OK, because because I had a whole different idea. But verses six and seven, it says that that Uzzar Uzziah is struck dead for touching the ark. For touching the ark. I first read it, and if you just read it as, as a casual reading rather than let the spirit of the Lord read you, you're like, man, he was he was willing to go to special limits to, to, to save the ark from falling and touching the ground. And it appears that way if you look with worldly eyes. But we just talked about for five verses how the whole scene was set up wrong. So it doesn't really matter what his intention was if the whole scene was set up wrong. Verse six, Uzzah put his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it. Something that was strictly forbidden according to Numbers chapter four, verse 15. And understand this, believers, Uzzah made a decision in a moment to disregard God's command Every decision, even decisions we make in a moment matter to God. Because how often is it? We'll stumble, we'll fall, we'll sin, and we'll say, oh, but it was just in that moment. God cares about the moments. The small moments and the big moments. Because it says right there, right after he touched it, it says that God struck him there for his error. This is not a big God being mean. This is not a lack of understanding on our part if we open scripture. It is God being exactly who he said he would be. It says that he struck him for his error. God is only fulfilling a promise he made in Numbers chapter 4. And David, think about this, this whole scene and this whole setup of why it's going on. David wanted Israel to know the presence of the Lord. I believe they knew the presence of the Lord when this man fell dead instantly right there in front of everybody. Pep rally over. Pep rally done. God, mic drop. Picture it. They're they're excited. They're singing. They're dancing. They got all the instruments. Everything's going crazy. Then this guy reaches up and touches something and he dies. And all the people realize that the presence of God was a real thing and it needed to be handled in a real way. God showed up. He just didn't show up the way they wanted him to show up. Mm. How often in our life is it like that? We want God to show up, but we want him to show up our way on our terms and and our timetable. God says, I'll show up. My way, I'll show up on my timetable and I'll show up and handle things the way I want to handle them. Look look at some of some of Uzziah's uh, errors right here. This wasn't just a a reflux action or or an instinct, as we call it. His error was in his thinking. Look, Look at just some of his thinking that he had to be going through that were error. He erred in thinking that it didn't matter who carried the ark. It did matter who carried the ark. God has special requirements set up for this. you were going to do things God's way. He erred in thinking it didn't matter how the ark was carried. No. God said it matters how it's carried. I want it carried by these group of people, and I want it carried this way. He erred in thinking that he knew about the ark because it was in his father's household for so long, I think. See, we kind of left that out in the intro, but you got to understand, this, this ark had been... In his territory for 20 plus years, at least, if not longer. And I can't imagine how many of us get into foolish thinking and error thinking. Because we've been in our mom and daddy's church for so long. Because we've been in our Sunday school class for so long. Because we've been in church for so long. It didn't matter how long it had been in his father's territory or his father's house. What mattered was if he allowed it to get into his heart the symbol of the presence of God. Evidently, that's all that stayed was a symbol because here's another thing he erred in. He erred in thinking that God couldn't take care of the ark himself. I didn't catch that one to the end, you know. I'm sitting there thinking, I'm like, how little of God do we have to think that we have to rescue something that his presence is in? I think it would have been more bold faith and trust if he have stepped back and let it begin to fall and say, you know what, watch this, God's going to protect his own. Because I think God could have and I think God would have. Or maybe the whole era is in thinking that we knew what was going to happen, the assumption that it was going to fall, because it's not what the verse says. All the verse tells us is that the ox stumbled, and I'm sure that made the cart wobble a little bit. And that's all we got as far as actual knowledge. We assume, like Uzziah assumed, that it was going to fall and it was going to hit the ground. God doesn't need you to assume things. God needs you to trust in his things. Right? And another thing he does right here, look at this. Because we get a small clue on a little bit more about where we're at. He erred in thinking that the ground of the threshing floor was less holy than his own hand. Think about that. It was going to fall if, if it was going to fall. Let's say if. If it was going to fall, it was going to fall on the threshing floor. Yet he thought his hand was more holy than a place God had ordained for sifting wheat. Wow. Why? And here's my fear on what I really realized as I studied this guy before we get to to David and the other the other option here on worship, because he grew comfortable. He grew comfortable because it had been around his father's house for so long. He had been in the presence of it for so long that he grew comfortable being around it. You know, we do that same thing sometime. Uh, uh, easy, uh, easy example would be the longer your relationship goes on, maybe you get comfortable with your significant other. You know when you first, just be blunt, right? When you first started dating, you didn't pass gas in front of each other. You know, you didn't do none of that. You Everything was sacred. Everything was holy. Everything was special. You was afraid to let your real self out. Get yourself married for a couple years, and God knows the smells you could smell being around that special other one, right? We get comfortable And when something gets comfortable, not that we shouldn't be comfortable in a relationship with God, but when we get too comfortable, something it loses its holiness and its reverence. Think about it. You hang out with the cop who's a who's a friend. You begin to bend different rules than you would normally bend if the cop wasn't your friend. Correct. Right. We get comfortable. I think he got in trouble because he got comfortable. We get comfortable sometime in church. We make stupid statements. Not that the, the few of you in here today or any of you online may have said, or may you have said them. But we make comments like, the pastor ought to just be glad I showed up. He ought to be glad I was there in the chairs so he didn't have to preach to invisible blue chairs while the screen is going on in all these neighborhoods. Or maybe some of you are thinking, he ought to be glad that I just logged on. I'm going to be honest with you. It didn't matter if you showed up, and it don't matter if you show up. What matters is if God shows up. Okay? Because if God didn't show up, we didn't do anything. If it was all about us, then yeah, us showing up would be a great thing. But it's about God showing up because it's about him, right? And the hard truth is this. If you want to get real more and more honest about it, it would probably be better if some of you with your attitudes didn't show up, right? I guarantee some pastors right now, if they get a chance to go watch something online later this evening, like I'm going to try to do, they'll be thinking the same thing. You know what? I do have people that I wish didn't show up sometime. We might not be bold enough to say it, but the truth is, with some of the negativeness, the some of the disgust, the arrogance, the pride, the laziness and many other attitudes, your pastor would be better not dealing with your attitude before he preached a sermon. Right. We bring in the wrong environment sometimes. Uzziah became comfortable and his in his comfort zone is where it says that he died in his comfort zone. Don't fall into the trap church of getting comfortable and dying in your comfort zone. Comfort and complacency, you could say, is what cost him his life. Now I know we're getting older and older the, the way this thing goes, but I hope we still got a lot of people that have seen Rocky Three. Because I'm going to tell you right now, Rocky Three paints a real good picture of what happens here with Uzziah, I think. Rocky III, he's finally got the title. Things are going great for him. You know, you kind of got this upswing of, of the Rocky series and the movies. And then Mick tells him this right here during one of their training. He said the worst thing that could happen to you happened. You got civilized. The worst thing that can happen to a fighter is they get civilized. Well, the worst thing I think that can happen to some believers is that we get comfortable. Is that we get comfortable. We get comfortable. Church, there's danger when the church becomes comfortable. There's danger in comfortable Christianity. Not not being secure in your relationship. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is being so comfortable that you begin to let things slide. You begin to not be moved by the spirit and just be moved by emotions. When we're moved by the spirit, we're not comfortable, man, because you're just waiting. When's he going to step on my toe? When's he going to slap me in the back of the head? What's going to be the next thing that gets me straight? You know, the more I read this chapter more and more this week, I began scared to read it as, as I finished reading it. About time number 14 or 15 of reading chapter 6, I was like, Lord, you done done slapped me a couple times. I don't know if I want to be slapped anymore. One thing's for sure, it wasn't very comfortable at times. And I guess that was a good thing since we're going against comfortability. There you go, there's a word for you. Y'all didn't know at home y'all get new words, right? He saw no difference between the ark of God and any other valuable article. Is what he was exhibiting. His intention to help was right. But his insensitivity to the sacredness of the ark was so wrong. And therein sometime is what happens to us. John says it this way, chapter four, verse 23. But the hour is coming in the, and is now here. When true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeks such to worship Him. It's funny the scene that this is set in. If you ever go back today, maybe and, and look at it. He's sitting at the well with a woman. Who he's calling out for having many husbands, including the husband that she's with now. That's not really her husband. And she tries to kind of shift the conversation a little bit to worship. You know, we get a little uncomfortable when we're being held accountable. We kind of change the subject. God says, I'll let you change the subject, change it to worship. And then let me tell you what I think about worship, because there's a time coming when you're going to have to worship me in truth and spirit. Not just your emotions and the spirit part, but truth. You see, in this incident, I think Uzziah had a lot of spirit. He just didn't have any truth. His passion was there, but the obedience was not. And we can fill our heads with all kind of false assumptions all we want to. And you can be as passionate as you want to be. But if there's no obedience, it don't really matter how passionate you got. It don't really matter how many emotions got stirred or anything else. And we can say all we want to that. Yeah, but his heart was in the right place. No. No, the heart is evil. We talked about that for I don't know how long here at church. And another part is this. If the heart was in the right place, the heart would be based in truth. Right. If it wasn't based in truth, then his heart wasn't in the right place. Therefore, it had to be in the wrong place. Right. Let's not say his heart was in the right place because he had a passion and an excitement and an emotion. Let's be honest and review the scene. Their heart was not in the right place. They were doing things like the pagans were doing them. They were they were disobeying God and how it was toted and who toted it. They were disobeying God and thinking it was a common artifact rather than symbolizing the presence of God and following his way of handling it. No, his heart was not in the right place. Despite his emotions, his desires, his feelings and all that stuff. Church, hear me. Like John just said, passion is not enough. Passion is enough. There has to be truth. Truth and only truth can properly influence the emotions in a way that's going to bring honor to God. Truth and only truth can properly influence the emotions in a way that brings honor to God. If I as a pastor or them as musicians or anybody else in your life excite you with anything other than truth, it has the ability to mislead you in the wrong direction. And that's something you need to be aware of. Maybe today more than ever. Here's some truth. If our goal is to entertain others or to be entertained by others, our worship's in vain. If we're here just to put on a show and worry about how many little hearts and thumbs up and comments we get on a Facebook app, then we failed. It's in vain. My prayer this whole morning and this whole week since we started doing this has not been how many people will view it, but how many lives will be changed by the opportunity to reach people who maybe never will investigate Scripture this way. Because that's what it's ultimately about, church. Change lives. If worship doesn't change you, then you haven't truly worshipped. Because one way or the other, it has to change you. It has to. And then we get to this next part where I think David may have been a, a little like me for, for a short period of time. One of the few times I get to be like David. How about that? Verses 8 and 9. Look, look at what it says. It says that David reacts with anger and with fear. Rightly so, guys. Picture the scene for David. He's finally king. He's finally doing things the right way. He brings this ark in. He's got people excited. He's got a big production going. Woo-hoo! It's happening. And then a guy drops dead. The woohoo party is over. Nobody likes what you're doing anymore. Nobody's thrilled about the the presence anymore. And everybody is now afraid and filled with anger and fear. And there's where David's at. And he even asked this question. How can the ark of the Lord even come to me? He asked the right question and thank God he got the right answer. His question is so significant. How can the ark of the Lord, how can the ark of Yahweh come to me? Because of what happened, David felt he couldn't do what God wanted him to do anymore. But I love this right here and hear me right now. Anybody who's got any leadership ability at all in a world like we have right now with things going on. David had the ability to respond rather than react. We talk so much about how this this time period and this stuff that's going on will affect politicians. It won't affect politicians if they respond rather than react. It won't affect leadership if they respond rather than react. When we react like media tries to make us react, we fail. But when we respond, that means we've got some truth. That means it doesn't matter what's being shoved at our throat and all over the visual scenery of us. We've got truth in our heart that tells us exactly what's going to take place and how we can handle it and how we can respond to it rather than react to it. That's what David does. David's response is this. Now, you only get this if you check out what happened and combine it with some other writings. Uh, distinctly the book of Chronicles gives us a lot of insight which we'll look at in a minute but David's response is this and he answers his own question remember the question how can the ark of the Lord come to me the answer Isaiah chapter 8 verse 20 to the law and to the testimony to the law and to the testimony if they do not speak according to this word there will be no dawn for them what's the word the word of God so he seeks out the word of God and he says, what, what is the right way of doing this? And he makes the second attempt. And the second attempt is so successful because he sought out the way God wanted the art to come rather than the way he wanted the art to come. Church, sometimes we can ask the right question, but we don't wait on the right answer. He asked the right question. How, how can I get this, this, this presence of God to come to me? But see, you and I will make up our own answers. We'll do our own thing. We'll Google a a quick microwavable option of of getting God to come fast. And and then we're happy. Who knows how fast God responded to David, how fast the verse came to him in in the law that was written. But in verse 10, it says this. David took it outside into the house. This is where it all starts into the house of Obed-Edom. This one little statement is fulfillment of God's word when you investigate scripture because Obed Edom was a Levite. Not only was he a Levite, he was a Levite of the family of Kooth, which in 1 Chronicles chapter 26 verse 4 said, this is not only the group of people, this is the exact family line I want to tote my ark wherever it travels to. Now this got me excited because I'm thinking, what's the chances that the ark of God happened to stumble The ox happened to trip up a little bit at this exact location where a man was not only going to drop dead, but David was going to be able to say, you know what, for this time period, I need to send the ark there. To the group of people that are allowed to hold it and carry it where it needs to be carried. And he does so. And he does so. We would chalk that up as coincidence, but I'm here to tell you, I don't think it was coincidence. I think God knew exactly what he was doing. And he made that little pebble get stuck in that ox toenail. And when he got stuck in that toenail, he stumbled and he fell. And when he stumbled, he knew Uzziah would do it the wrong way. And he did it. And there he got everybody's attention. And they were drawn back to the word of God to find out what the word of God says about handling the presence of God. And then they begin to do this thing the right way. So much so that it says in in that same section of of verses before verse 12, it says, And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household David had fear and he had anger but then he gets a report he gets a report that hold on those guys are getting blessed and not cursed by the presence of the ark and then David a light goes off and he says you know what it's not just about the the curse it's about the blessings that we can get from God as well you see The curse didn't come from God's heart. The curse came from man's disobedience. We're quick to want to blame God. But in all reality, the curses that you and I deal with are because of our own disobedience. It's not just something God wants to throw out on us. We bring it upon ourselves. And the Lord blessed them, it said, because it was followed the right way. And when we follow God's holiness the right way, we get the blessings of God from it. This excites David. This gets David going. So this gets the second attempt going. Verses 12 through 15, it says that the ark was successfully able to get to Jerusalem. Look at verse 12. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with gladness. Oh, the joy is brought back. The happiness is brought back. David was glad to know that the the presence and the glory of God could bring a blessing and not just a curse. And and when you check out 1 Chronicles chapter 15 and begin to check this stuff out, a, a parallel chapter of this event, David explains to the priest. Why God struck out against them in the first attempt. You know, it's one thing when we we learn something, it's another thing we've got to share it with others. Let me tell you why you're dealing with what you're dealing with. Let me tell you why you can't handle what's being thrown at you right now. And he says this in first Chronicles chapter 15, verse 13. For because you did not do it the first time, the Lord our God broke out against us because we did not consult him about the proper order of things. Wow. Wow, he has to admit to the problem-solving family. We didn't do it with you guys, and we had some consequences because of it. Best thing you can do is admit when you've understood that you've done something wrong and correct it as soon as possible. Because when worship gets in its proper order, gladness and joy comes. And here maybe is sometimes where we we make some mistakes in this section. We we mistakenly feel sometimes that worship has to be toned down. Has to be subdued. And we'll read a chapter like this and be like, oh, they messed up because they made it a big production. No, this production is going to be even bigger. It's going to be even bolder. The problem wasn't the size of the production. The the problem was the order of the production. They've got a big thing going on that's going to fit in this chapter. It's way bigger than the first. And I say that because sometimes we'll take these little sections of of scripture in some of our little smaller churches where we want to contain God and and put him in little small boxes. And we'll say, oh, they messed up because they did it with such excitement and such joy. And God is all about order and peace and solemnness. God's about that, too. But God's about big stuff. He's a big guy. He likes big stuff. Okay, he likes when his people get so excited, but it spreads like wildfire. He likes right now that there's a wide range of his word being shared, rather than just contained in little boxes amongst the nation. He likes that, as long as they're being preached the right way. By the way, okay, he likes that. And there, I don't want us to get in a mistake of thinking that the, the, the big production was the problem. That wasn't the problem. The problem was it was only a production, and not a heartfelt thing. uh, 13 through 15, if you're in in, uh, 2 Samuel 6 still, parallels directly with 1 Chronicles chapter 15. And it tells us this, and it shows us that David specifically commanded that the priest will carry the ark this time. On their shoulders the right way. Not with a new cart. Not with strength. Not with friendliness. Not with any of that stuff, but carried on the shoulders of those that were called to share because God wants his presence to come on his men and women that should be carrying his presence. Right. Should be you and I, I hope it shows us that there's this bigger production, even bigger than the first time. Check, check out. And I love that David was wise enough to know that the problem wasn't with the production. The problem was with the hearts and the way it was handled. Because he doesn't shy away, he doesn't say, oh, let's make this one smaller. He has no fear, by the way, of what if, what if something bad happens again and we scare people again? See, that's some of our problems sometimes. We're afraid to make something bigger than, than it can be because we're afraid of if it fails, well, that's a bigger failure, right? Right? Sometimes God's called us to go all out, I think. Sometimes he's called us to, to go out and make it as big as we can possibly make it and give the glory to him. Not, as long as you're not getting the glory, it's good stuff. Right? You, you saw the little sample video last night of, of us trying to do this thing. Well, mainly my wife, not really. Nicola's, was so worried and wanted to do this sample run. If God wanted it to happen, it's going to happen. We don't even have a building with internet right now, but we're broadcasting live on Facebook. That seems weird in today's day and time, right? But it's happening because God said it will happen if I want it to happen. And if it's the way of the man, it won't happen. Very simple. Very simple. Look at verse 13, though. Big production calls for big stuff, right? Look at 13. For Yahweh our God burst out in anger. Oh, hold on, that's the wrong, that's the wrong book. Same verses, that was pretty good. Chapter 6 verse 13. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Saul's daughter Michael, lo- oh, hold on, I'm on the wrong one too. Oh. When those carrying the ark of Yahweh advanced six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened calf. You can read over that real quick, but you know what that says? That says that death is always required in order to move into the presence of God. That's what that says. That's what that says. You know why some of us in, in, in churches today can't get in the presence of God? Because we hadn't died to self. That's what the problem is. Because we hadn't died to the ways of the world. Because we hadn't been bold enough to, to, to mean lyrics when we sing them. of this world's got nothing to offer me. All I got to do is follow God and nothing else. We sing them, but do we mean them? Are we really following God and nothing else? Or are we following the ways of the world? When we follow God after, after something gets sacrificed and death happens, verse 14, David danced before the Lord with all his might. I like that it says with all his might. He didn't hold nothing back. And David's most likely a white boy. Let's just be honest. So he probably ain't got rhythm. Probably ain't got nothing good going for him. He's a little tan. I understand that. But, but, but he's just a normal old fella, but he's not dancing at an obligation church. He's dancing at a heartfelt worship. Nothing can stop him. He's that, he's that excited, but the people he's around, his wife looking up and down at the, in the window uh, to him, nothing can stop him about what he's feeling and what's going on on the inside. David's got this emotional link to God. Now I use that word, but I give you two warnings that we need to need to be aware of when I use the word emotional link, and here it is. First one, is the error of making emotions the center of our Christian walk? They're not to be the center of your Christian walk. But the opposite is true too, an air of an emotionally detached Christian life. You can't be emotionally detached from God. What kind of relationship do you have then? We got to have a balance. Em- emotions that must not be manipulated, but they must not also be repressed either. Let those things out, but let them out as long as they're controlled by God. And, and here's the truth. Well, while we look so strangely at David, I wonder how strangely it would have been if somebody got up and ran around this morning with excitement during one of the worship songs. I wonder if anybody got up in their living rooms and did a little little twirls. I wonder if anybody's garages and cul-de-sacs had somebody just sprint around in them with excitement about what God was really doing in the middle of chaos. And I wonder how many believers would look at that person that was bold enough to do it and think, what a weirdo. And we laugh about it right now, but let's be honest. If we were at a ball game and somebody scored a touchdown, we wouldn't think nothing of the man who ran up and down. the aisles bragging about his running back. If we were at a baseball game, the minute that home run went and people all stood up their hands and waved them and went crazy, we would think nothing about it. People don't think nothing about it, Even when we're at Little League and your little man scores a goal and you run up and down the sideline like he done, he done saved the world. We don't think nothing of it because it's excitement and excitement's okay, right? We think nothing of hands that get raised at a concert, yet we we stutter to lift our hands in worship. Maybe that should be a new rule why Corona's going around. Everybody got to keep your hands up so you don't touch nobody. Just walk around like this and let the worship take over, right? Huh? What would happen then if, if, we, if we got our minds off of that and our minds on, on upward things? What would happen? Look at 16 through 19. This is why you got to pick a right partner. This is why you gotta pick a right partner to hear me. There's a little small lesson there. It says that she despised him in her heart. Man, I can't imagine what David's going through because I've got a good cheerleader that supports me. I'm serious. Times get hard. She'll give me that word of wisdom I need or that kick in the butt that I need. I'll take both, whichever, you know, she knows how I need it when I need it. So that works. Right. But David at this moment, when he's on, when he's on his high, You ever been on a spiritual high and somebody tear you down because they ain't got the excitement? Maybe you've been the one tearing somebody down because you didn't get the excitement that they got. Sure, Aren't we called to be the encourager and the uplifter of those that are excited rather than the one that's going to tear somebody down? But no, we're so quick to want to pull them down to our level rather than let them pull us up to theirs. She despised him in our heart. There will always be those who look down on you. From their window of superiority. Right? There will always be those. There will always be the temptation when they do that right there. For you to change the feeling you have. The emotion you have. The following you have. The obedience you have. Verse 17 says they brought the ark of the Lord. And they set it in its place. After years of it being lost in battle, after years of it being in the wrong spot, the ark is returned to the tabernacle, sat in the most holy place it is supposed to be in, the emblem of God's presence and glory, in its proper place in Israel. Church, it's a beautiful thing when you always return to his proper place. And I'm talking about in your life, not just in this, not just in this story. If we would put God back in his proper place, the changes that could take place, the happenings that could happen, Verse 20, as if we didn't get enough when it said she despised her in her heart. Look, look at this complaint. Look at verse 20. David returned home. What's he returning home? Man, set this scene. Up. This is so sad. He, he's returning home to bless his household. You know, it's one thing when you get excited about church and then you walk out the door and leave it here. But true, genuine excitement. Remember, if you ain't been changed by worship, you probably ain't really worshiped. So when you get changed by it, that's when you go out the door and you still got it with you. It wasn't just in a building. It wasn't just in a time frame. It wasn't just in the city. It wasn't just because of people on stage. It was something that God did on the inside. And it says that he went home to bless his household. He was ready. Guys, let me share with you what God is doing. I mean, he he was all ecstatic and going crazy about this thing. He wanted to come and tell them about the awesomeness. And I love this scripture so honest. It doesn't even call her his wife at this moment. It says Saul's daughter showing us that she was more like her daddy than she's like her husband. Saul's daughter, Mikhail came out to meet him. Women, please don't ever do this to your man. She came out to meet him and popped his bubble before he even got in the house. How? The king of Israel honored himself today. Since the sarcasm. She said he exposed himself today in the sight of slave girls of his subjects like a vulgar person would expose himself. Gets a little deeper than what she's actually saying. Look at the sarcasm and the criticism. That could have ruined David's moment. Notice I keep saying could have ruined David's moment. Right. Don't ever let another person take your joy in the Lord. David didn't let her. We're going to get to his response in just a minute, right? When you get excited about God, don't expect everybody to get excited. I hate to even have to say that, but that's just the truth. Because when the Holy Spirit turns up the BDUs in you, it disrupts the status quo. That's the truth of why you can't always expect it. Because, because some people will be inspired by what God's doing in your life. Don't get me wrong. Some people will. There's some good people out there. But then you got the other side where, where they're convicted about what God's doing in your life. Right. And they mask their personal conviction by finding something in you to criticize. Criticism nine out of 10 times is a defense mechanism. You criticize somebody else because you feel bad about what's going on in their life ain't going on in yours. You criticize others and what you don't like about yourself. And I think that's what she's doing, to be honest with you. I think she knows that she shouldn't have been up in a window looking down like her daddy would have been doing. I think she knows she should have been down there. She should have been participating. She should have been with her man, supporting him, encouraging him, uplifting him. And she wasn't. And because she wasn't, she begins to put up defense mechanisms. Uncovering himself is what it said. What, what, What are we really indicating here? What are we really indicating? First, I need, I need to make sure we understand. She's not even upset that David's dancing. She's upset with what he's wearing while he's dancing. Now, what did he really set aside? You know, we joke about this chapter all the time on David stripping down to his undies. And, and Is that really what it says? Not really. Nowhere in there is there an underwear or undergarment or anything like that actually stated. What it says, he took off his royal robes. Oh, now we're getting to the heart of why this woman's really upset. He took off his royal Robes, meaning he's acting like any other normal person would act. He's not called to be normal. He's supposed to be the king. Think about the circumstances. He's, in. he's a newly crowned king. The added pressure he had to be feeling to act like a king, a reputation to protect, a crown to represent. Kings don't disrobe and dance in the city streets. Shepherd boys do. Thank God he had enough shepherd boys still in it. Thank God he had enough shepherd boy still in. Don't you ever let your your position that you get put in on earth change who you are on the inside. He had been trained for years to worship the right way. So he took off those worldly garments that gave him his title, his authority and his position. And he said, I don't need these. All I need is God. But then you had that KK. Y'all know what a KK is, right? Mike, you ought to know you got PKs. KK's a king's kid. You got a king's kid. Mikael was a king's kid. She knew how you should act. She knew to what was expected of you. She knew where you were supposed to be. I mean, she'd been doing this thing for years. Her entire life, she'd been doing it. Saul's way, daddy's way, king's way. I think Saul wore his, his crown to bed. I think he wore his crown so much he had scratches on his face. From when he woke up in the morning, the crown just rubbed against him while he was, you know what I'm saying? I don't think he ever took it off. Right? It's almost like a, a symbolism. I don't know if you guys ever caught it. Remember when Moses threw down his shepherd's staff? The, the, the lesson there, it's not just what was going on. It also symbolizes his identity and security. That shepherd staff. He threw down his identity and his security. Same way with these robes. These robes symbolize David's identity and security. And he refused to find his identity and security in a position of king. When he could find it in God. Look at what he writes in the book of Psalms repeatedly about his identity and his security. David says in Psalms, the Lord is my refuge. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shield. David knew what he was versus who God is. Verses 21 through 23. So you don't ever let nobody take your joy, right? He didn't let her take your joy. Look at 21 and 22. David replied to uh, Mikael. I keep wanting to say Michael, but that'd be kind of weird for her. David and Michael to be together. Maybe not in today's day and time, but that was pretty good. (laughs) I was dancing before Yahweh who chose me over your father. Ooh, oh, listen to that. He chose me over your father, over his whole family to appoint me ruler over. I love this part. Please don't ever miss it. Over Yahweh's people of Israel. It would have been so easy for a king to say what? My people. But he doesn't say anything about my people. He still understands that that he's really just a lieutenant governor. That's really all he is. God is still king. Yahweh is still king. This is still Yahweh's people. Sometimes leadership in the church, we get that we get that mixed up, thinking that we gods. We do. I'm just being honest with you. Reality is, you need to swallow your little high horse if you're on and realize this is God's church. This is God's body. We're following things God's way. Okay. Not any other way. And that's what David realized. David got it going, man. He explained and he explains it. Look, look at how it keeps going. I pause right I'm sorry. Celebrate before Yahweh and I will humble myself. I will humiliate myself even more. I will become even more undignified than this. I will be honored by the slave girls you're speaking about. What's David really getting into right here? David's saying, I'm humbling myself, not just to dance and show people how spiritual I am. I'm doing this for God and for God only. I'm doing this for him. David wasn't worried about looking like a king. He was too busy looking like a worshiper. Maybe that's something we need to do when we start gathering back together again, physically in the presence of others. Quit worrying about what others are thinking we look like and worry about what God thinks we look like. Which means you better worry about your heart first and then let it explode on the outside. And then once it explodes on the outside, nothing can stop you. From letting it out. Not even negative comments from those you care about. 21 and 22. If you break down these words. That what David says even gets deeper. So keep that up there. The Hebrew word right here. a Is Lexi kicking in. Strongest accordance number 7403. Translated as vile. Undignified. contemptible, Or foolish. Foolish. Perhaps the real question is, are you willing to look foolish in front of others? Worshiping the Lord. Following the Lord. Remember now, when I say worship, I don't just mean songs and, and praise time, right? I mean in your actions outside. The best way you can worship the Lord is through living it outside these walls. Maybe that's part of what he meant when he said we ought to act a little more like children. That's the foolish thing in the world you've ever seen right there. And he don't really care. I'm telling you. Don't matter at all. Don't matter at all. Think, think about the things we praise kids for when we talk about being more like kids. They're foolish things. You peed in the potty. You know, if the I guarantee if the first poop was taken at a store, and would come over the intercom. Attention on Target shoppers. We just want to let you know uh, Reese has finally pooped in the potty. All right. That's how excited we would be. That seems foolish. Maybe we need to get a little more foolish. One of my definitions of faith, all kidding aside, is the willingness to look foolish. Hebrews says that that, that it's the assurance of things unseen, right? That means we have to act on those things that we don't see, meaning that it's the willingness to look foolish. How about Noah? How foolish did Noah look while he was building the ark in the middle of a desert? Huh? How foolish did Sarah look while she's buying maternity clothes at 90 years old? Picture 90-year-old grandma over there in, in the maternity section buying some maternity clothes. For herself, not for her daughter-in-law or daughter. The Israelites, they looked foolish marching around a building blowing trumpets, didn't they not? Right? David looked foolish coming at Goliath with a slingshot. Wise men had to look foolish following a star. Peter, how crazy did he look getting out of a boat in the middle of a lake? Jesus, how foolish did he look hanging half naked on a cross? Faith is the willingness, willingness to look foolish and the results speak for themselves. Go back to those same examples. Noah. He saved from the flood. Sarah gave birth to Isaac. The walls of Jericho—they came falling down. David knocked Goliath out with that shot and then cut his head off. The wise men found the Messiah. Peter walked on the water. He got out on, and Jesus rose from the dead. I'd say it's okay to start looking a little more foolish in our life today, right? Right? Now let's get let's get a little more real on it because we're asking questions. Uh, you know, how come this don't ever happen to me? I can tell you why some of us have never killed a giant or walked on water because we're not willing to look foolish. We're not willing to get out of a boat in the middle of a lake. We're not willing to charge an enemy with a slingshot who's bigger than us. We're not willing to take a chance for God. And if we're not willing to even take a chance for it, how's he going to exhibit his power through us? That same word, if you if you break this thing down even, even further, Q-A-L-O-L, Hebrew word for, for, for this, this uh, foolishness, translates also into, into wet or wheat. That translates out to Latish, which is Strong's thirty-nine thirteen, and Shanann, which is Strong's eighty-one fifty. Both of those instances, both of those instances refer to sharpening. That's kind of neat when you look at what David's saying now, right? Not only is he saying, I'm not afraid to act more foolish, he's also saying at the same time, I'm going to get more sharpened in my skills of worship. Meaning that we made a mistake and we had been doing it the wrong way, but I'm going to sharpen up my skills and do it the right way from now on. Maybe he's really realizing how much they messed up at the very beginning. I'll do whatever it takes to worship the Lord and be dedicated to him and do it the right way. Or maybe it's just about the picture that we get when we first read over this section. So many times we joke about, you know, the wording and what's taking place here, right? And and even the wording of of when she calls him out the second time about it and using the word exposed. Or or, or we try to act like he got naked. Well, let's get real real about, about what's really taking place here, okay? Because in order to get some true, genuine worship going on, sometimes we need to expose ourselves to God. Not in the physical sense of what we're wearing, but in our hearts, because we'll come into worship and we'll put up these walls around us and we'll put on this mask. That's not real worship. Don't tell me you coming in here with a smile on your face when everything outside is crumbling That's fake worship. God has not called you to come in here and pretend he's called you to come in here and be real. Take off the mask, break down the walls, and expose yourself to God. Maybe you could say this way, worship is disrobing. It's exposing ourselves to God and to God alone. Not, not about what I can bring to God. Remember what those robes represented for David? That's his, that's his king robe, right? That's his authority. That's his power. It's not about what you can bring to God. Take that, take that off. It's about what God can do for you. It's so not, it's not about what you're bringing to him and proving who you are. David said, you know what, I'm I'm not going to embrace who I am as a king of Israel. I'm going to embrace who God is as the king of all kings. And I'm going to worship him and I'm going to go crazy about him. Because following God requires stripping off what preoccupies you. Now ask yourself this, what needs to come off? What needs to come off? And I'm not talking stripping down niggas. I told you a minute ago and I'll I'll give you a, a more exact answer. David wasn't just, just stripping down. all his, He took off his kingly, kingly robes and he most likely, I believe, had on, by the words that's used, he most likely had on some priestly garments under it. Meaning that he, he stripped off his authority of being king and looked just like the rest of the priests that were outside dancing in the street and going crazy about the ark of God and the presence of God being brought back to its right place. That's the reality of what's going on in this section. Making himself more common so that he can be more genuine in his worship of God. Wow. Maybe that's something what John the Baptist meant when he said he's got to become greater and I got to become less. Remember that? We need to care more about what God thinks and less about what people think. That's what a lot of it really boils down to. And, and, and here's something too good to miss. I hinted at it a minute ago, but I want, I want to flat out say it just because I know some people just be the only thing you, you ever hear in this direction. Here's a small lesson. In a spiritually uneven marriage or relationship, there's going to be too much tension for you to handle. Let's be honest about it. Can you imagine the tension that was there when he come back that way, right? What corner did he make her go sit in, right? I mean, he's definitely not happy with what's going on. And then you get verse twenty-three to just just throw it in as like a like a cherry on the top of everything. Very last verse, twenty-three, and it says, "And Saul's daughter Michal had no children to the day of her death." What a sad ending for her, right? Now, you can look at this all kind of different ways, and I'm not going to get into some of the symbolism and all that's there. But here, here's, the, here's the spiritual lesson that has to be seen. She was barren and empty on the inside. Now, that could be a, it could have been a punishment for this. It could have been that David never wanted anything to physically do with her again. I don't know. But I know this is what the verse says. And I know when I look specifically at her, all I see is she's spending her time absorbing, observing worship Rather than practicing worship. Remember, she's just sitting at her window looking down. This is a big, big event, guys. This thing is bigger than the first. So how far in advance from her big old high up window tower did she see this procession coming? How long did she have to debate on if I'm going to go down and get involved or if I'm going to sit here in my little safe spot? She got so caught up watching worship that she forgot to worship on her own. Is that you? Is that you? Is that you sitting around, man, I want what they got. I I want that kind of thing. Man, those people sure did get a lot out of worship and praise today, right? Man, they got a lot out of the word of God today, right? How about instead of worrying about what they got, you get something for yourself? Huh? How about you grab your own thing out of it? That's not a spectator sport. It's, It's meant to change us personally. Our experience with God is what drives our worship with God. What do you think David thought when he took off those king robes and went back to dancing like a shepherd boy, right? You think he remembered all the stuff God had done for him? I remember when he helped me defeat the the bear and I remember when he helped me defeat the lion. I remember when he helped me defeat Goliath. I remember when my brother picked on me and I remember. I remember, I remember, I remember, I remember, I remember. remember. We need to do some more remembering about all that God's done and quit worrying about what the world tells us he can't do. Hmm? Right? I I dare you guys to enter this text today with David and the ark and let it change you. I, I dare you to let it change the way you look at things and the way you practice things. I dare you to just just, just, just figure out who you are today in this story. Maybe that's just the first thing you need to do Rather, right there is just figure out who you are. You're, you're one of three people. I got it down to, to three from this story. Now, there's a there's a thing out there about you can you can worship the, uh, the wrong God the wrong way. You can worship the wrong God the right way. I take that one out because I want to see how you can worship the wrong God the right way. But uh, there, there's, there's that belief out there from somebody much smarter than me. And then there's you can worship the right God the wrong way. And then you can worship the right God the right way. But here's the three from today. You can worship God, but you can worship God the wrong way. Like the people at the very beginning were doing. You can make a big production about it. And that's all it'll ever be and it'll ruin, and it'll curse you, and it'll end you. It really does bring forth death because you fooled yourself into thinking you've got a real relationship and a real worship experience with God, and you've got nothing because it had not been heartfelt. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're the second one. Maybe you're just staying in your little protective palace, watching worship from your little window, criticizing all those around you who are excited and on fire about what God's doing, the abilities he has to handle everything that's coming at us, And just whining and whining and whining and whining. Or maybe I hope a lot of us are going to be like David. We're going to humble ourselves. We're going to strip away the things that need to be stripped away. And we're going to give everything to God. Because he's the only one worthy of getting everything. He's the one that's worthy of receiving everything we got. It said that David couldn't even contain himself. He was so excited. I challenge you to get that kind of relationship with God. I challenge you to get that kind of fire brewed up on the inside. And then I challenge you to live that way outside walls, because if we would begin to lead that way, we would have more of an influence over this world than the media and any virus or any other major event has. And that's what this world needs. Let's pray. Father God, we love you so much. God, we care about what you do. We care about how you do it. God, I pray that you open our eyes to see the mistakes that were made in chapter six. God, touch our hearts and let us realize which one of the characters, Lord God, are we being and which one we're supposed to be. Lord God, use today's message, God. God, use today's words. Use the circumstances around us, God. God, use the the music that's being played, Lord God. God, accomplish something inside of us. That hasn't been accomplished yet. Change us in such a way Lord God. That when we leave here. We know that we've truly been with you. So much so Lord God. That you've heated us, us up so much Lord God. That we're glowing outside these walls for you. God despite the rain that's coming today. Despite the virus that's around us. Despite the fear that the media has just, just wrapped our minds around. Allow us to break free Lord God. And teach this world the right way to handle things. God the right way to handle you. The right way to be in a relationship with you, Lord God. God, move in such a special way right now, Lord God, that from this day forth, every single one of us is changed for the better. In your great name we pray. Amen.